Thank you for being here. Let's pray, Father. Father, we are overwhelmingly thankful for your goodness and your mercy in saving us. Father, we know, as we've said before, there's not a person in here that merited the Holy Spirit stopping and stooping to rescue us from the mud, the filth, the condemnation of this world. Father, we know the Spirit could have easily walked right past us, but you didn't. You had us in your mind for your purpose before anything was created. And at the right time, the time according to your timing, in the right place, through the ministry of the gospel, you've saved each one of us. Father, we thank you this morning that you are continuing to minister to us and to speak. Care for us, correct us, lead us, fellowship with us. Father, we thank you for your word that, and the ministry of your spirit in this class. Who so graciously teaches each one of us giving us the ability to learn and to retain your word. So, Father, this morning as we close out this teaching concerning the person of God, Father, we want to just say thank you. Thank you for how you've been teaching us, ministering to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning will be our last lesson in what was billed as a systematic theology presentation. And remember, systematic theology is a means of taking various subjects of the Bible and bringing them together systematically by taking other areas, the scripture over here, scripture there, and seeing how these doctrines are built. And so what we've been doing is studying the person of God as we have been taking scriptures, being led by the Spirit from various places throughout the Word of God and showing what the Bible says about God in a more comprehensive way. This morning, we're going to be ending that. And you remember our emphasis over the last several weeks has been the Trinity. We believe in how many gods? One God. We're a monotheistic, one God people. But the monotheism that is presented in the Bible 
is not a God who is a singularity. Is that all right to say that? But is a plurality in union as one. That God exists as one in his being, in the essence of who he is. But he exists also as three persons who comprise the one being of God. Each person being fully divine. Each person being fully equal in every aspect with every, each of the other two persons. Each person possessing fully all the attributes and the essence of who the divine nature. And so the distinction among the three is not who they are intrinsically in themselves, but their roles of how they function. And this morning we're going to conclude that by looking at a passage of Scripture, which we started last week, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And it's always a dangerous thing to say, this is the most important Scripture in the Bible, other than Genesis 1-1. As you know how I feel about that. But this is one of the most magnificent and clearest and dramatic statements of our Trinitarian theology. That we are monotheistic believers. But our monotheism is this. We are Trinitarian monotheists. One God who exists as three persons. So let's look at this and see in this particular passage how each person of the Trinity, and I think you have, I'm not sure exactly, let me see your notes a second. Okay, I want to look at the first comment I have up here. And I have here. And you see it in your notes, I think. From these verses, we will learn three essential truths about the Trinity. Do you see that? I want you to underline these three words. Each person is necessarily responsible for our salvation. What does that mean? Without the particular person of the Trinity being a part of our salvation, we wouldn't be saved. Secondly, each person is equally necessary or involved responsible for our salvation. It doesn't mean that one person is more important than the other. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father. No, absolutely wrong. And then third, each person is differently involved with our salvation. Do we understand that? We really must see those three because that speaks to the the truth about what the Trinity, who God is in his Trinitarian nature. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equally, distinctly necessary and involved with our salvation. So, let's read through this. Now, do you see that you have fill in the blanks? 
Okay, what one will do that, you know, when the apostle writes this, there's a lot of pronouns. Remember what a pronoun is. A pronoun is a word that stands for or represents another noun or whatever, right? That other noun, I'm sorry, that noun that it represents is called the antecedent. So some of you remember this? Yeah, some of you failed those English tests in those days. So if I said... The ball hit the window, and it bounced through the house. What is it? A pronoun referring to what? The ball. Okay, it's easy. Some of you may remember. Oh, that's right. That's what a pronoun is. So let's look at this, and we're going to break it down the way it's broken down. There are three parts of this passage from 3 to 14. We're going to be looking, first of all, at the Father's role Verses 3 through 6. So let, let me just read this. And all I feel the Lord wants us to do today is not make copious comments about what's in here. But just to get a sense, a feel for what God the Trinity has done and how each person of the Trinity is involved in our salvation. So... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins with what person of the Trinity? Hmm? It's easy. Blessed be the God and Father. Father. So what does that say immediately to us? That the role of the Father is as the leader, the source of the one in whom our salvation is originating. Now, that's real tough for us to understand because, well, wait a minute. Then it doesn't originate with the Son. It is the expression of this will of God in the Father that we're talking about. So the Father is, if you would, the leader of the Trinitarian team. But he's also equal with the Son. He's also equal with the Spirit. So you see, when we think about these things, the difficulty is that we think about them in human terms. And we need to be very careful about that. We're thinking about that which is so far beyond us and is infinite that we're putting together finite words which describe infinite realities. And we always are going to fail when we do that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? What's the antecedent for who? The Father. So you can write F for Father, S for Son, SP for Spirit, however you want to do it. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Well, in the heavenlies is how the Greek is. Heavenly places is what you'll see. In the heavenlies in Christ Jesus or in Christ. Now, before we continue, that word in is the Greek word en. We've talked about this before. That means this, that everything God has done, everything the Father has done, every decision he has made, beginning with Genesis 1-1, has been in Christ, in Christ, 
and we'll see, by the Holy Spirit. That means this, that the Father does nothing, says nothing, wants nothing, accomplishes nothing as to this creation except in Christ. There's absolutely no such thing in the Trinity as a unilateral activity. Do you know what I mean by unilateral activity? On your own. There's no such thing as any one person of the Trinity doing anything, anything independent of the other two. Okay? Now, there's a whole lot I'd like to say about that, especially when it comes to leadership teams, but I won't do it. So in Christ. So first of all, when, 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 what did he do in Christ? What did the Father do in Christ? As he, who? The Father. I wanted to say Father, Son, and Spirit rather than God because we're talking about the distinct persons of the Trinity. As he, who? Who is he? The Father. Chose us in, who is him? Christ. When did he choose us in Christ? Hmm? Before the foundation of the world. And why did he choose us in Christ? That we would be holy and blameless before him. Before whom? The Father. The Father chose us in the Son before the foundation of the world for the purpose of us being what? Holy and blameless before him so that we will stand in the presence of God the Father in Christ with the same holiness and blamelessness that Christ himself is. Do we see that? Now, he chose us. Why did he choose us? Because he wanted to. He chose us in Christ. He did not choose us because we first chose him. He did not do that. He chose us because in his, I'm going to say it this way, secretive or mysterious will, he created us to be in fellowship with him forever. Now, that opens a whole lot of, a candle, a whole lot of what? Worms. Well, it's not fair because everybody should be given a, equal chance to be in heaven. Well, that's how humanity thinks. But that's not how God is. So we have to be careful not putting our own opinions, our own considerations or definitions of what love is or morality is. We just have to go with what the Bible says. We just have to go. Why? Because it is the word of God. So he chose us. So why are you here today? Are you here today because you said you received Christ? Are you saved because you received Christ? I can't hear you. 
No. You received Christ because you were in Christ before the foundation of the world. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit, if you would, came upon you and birthed you, the new birth, being born again into the kingdom, you then responded by saying yes. Am I correct in that? Is everybody in here a person you have received Christ? Is that right? Any questions about this? You've received Christ. John 1, what verse? 12. 12. To as many as received Christ, to him, what? God gave the right, the right to become children of God, even to those who, what? Believed on his name. Whose name? The name of Jesus. Okay. We received him. So here it is. Are we called to give our hearts to Jesus to be saved? Or is he giving us a new heart which we received? We're not giving him our old heart. He is giving us our new heart which you are, we are receiving. You see that? Now, that doesn't mean if you didn't, quote, say it right or whatever, you're not saved or whatever. But at least that's the theology of it. That's the truth of it. I need to move along. Now, you see where it says, in love, he predestined. Well, the, the verses that we have here, as everything else in the Bible, and remember what Matt said, were just a continuing, continuing long kind of a, writing together, and there were no punctuations. So when this was punctuated, the uh, person who did that blamed us before him in love. We believe the word in love needs to be, this is, this is his motivation for predestining us. So in love, what? Just as he, in love, what? Who's he? Who? The Father predestined us. Predestination is the means by which God guarantees our salvation. He predestined us to what? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the agent in whom and through whom we are adopted into God's family. To himself. Who is himself? The Father. According to the kind intention of the Father's will. To the praise of the glory of the Father's grace, which he, the Father, freely bestowed upon us in the beloved Son. Now, how do we know? the? Where have you heard that word beloved Son before? Remember the baptism in Matthew chapter 3 or in Luke chapter 3? Jesus coming out of the water. What is basically, what does the Father say? This is my beloved. Then remember in Matthew 17 at the transfiguration, look, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You remember Peter was saying, hey, shouldn't we do this and that? Can we build the other thing and so on? What is the purpose of all of this? Why has God done what he's done? Look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That is God's quintessential purpose. 
that by saving us in Christ, he would display the glory of his grace in his son by the Holy Spirit. So everything about our life is toward what essential ending? What is it about? The glory of God. Everything. Everything answers to God's glory in us. So we see this is the Father's role. Now, can we be saved apart from the Father's role? Hmm? No. So do you see the necessity of the Father's role? All right. Do you see the equality of the Father's role? He's doing it, but not unilaterally. And can you see the distinctiveness of the Father's role? You see, Jesus is not calling us into his kingdom. Well, wait a minute. I know that Jesus says, come unto me. But Jesus is not calling us into his kingdom unilaterally. Why is Jesus calling us into his kingdom? Why? Because he's fulfilling the Father's purpose for us to be called into the kingdom. So he's doing what the heavenly Father, his heavenly Father has commanded him to do. Do we see this? So it's not Jesus is the one. Or it's not the Holy Spirit, Brian. He's really the one. It's not, well, it's God the Father. So who is calling us? Into the kingdom of God. The entire trinity. The entire trinity. But we're being called differently by each person of the trinity. So let's go to the next set of verses, 7 to 12. In him, in whom? Well, look back. Look, You see, I turned the page, but look at it. In the beloved... In him, who? The son. This is the son. In him, we have redemption. In other words, we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Through his, who? The son or Christ's blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of. Now, you see, this could be either one. I prefer to say, ultimately, it's the Father's glory, although the Son shares the glory, although the Spirit shares the same glory. But I wouldn't debate or argue that it's the Son. I think it can be either one in this particular. The forgiveness of our trespasses. How, how much are we forgiven? Is there anyone here this morning? Now, you may not want to raise your hand if you're thinking this way. It's okay. Is there anyone here this morning, first of all, who would debate that every, may I repeat that word? Every. Every sin we committed before God saved us in a time frame. Every sin has been forgiven. Are we okay with that? Do we have a good handle on that? How many of our sins before we were saved are forgiven? All. 
That's not difficult, is it, Matt? But here's the challenge. What about the sin? Now, what is sin? Sin is not faithfully, by faith, obeying God. Correct? You've heard people say, sin is disobedience to God. Well, I would rather say sin is not the sin is the result of our not exercising faith in God to obey him. Sin occurs when faith misses the target. Correct? What about the sins that we're going to commit after being saved? What about those? Are they all forgiven? Is there anything I need to do in order to get God to forgive me after I'm saved? Hmm? Well, what about you have to repent? First John 1 9. What does that say? Come on, Joe, you said it. What does it say? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all, how much? All unrighteous. Remember, we talked about that in 1 John. John begins by identifying the problem. There's a problem here. We have a bunch of Gnostics here who do not believe that they have sinned. They haven't sinned. And John said, look, if you forgive us, if, if we confess our sin, if I confess I'm a sinner, God will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. But then when you go into chapter 2, what does he say in verse 9? But if we sin, what happens if we sin? But if we sin, what? We have who? We have what? An advocate. What is an advocate? He's a lawyer. He's a lawyer. Is that okay to say that? He comes, he legally represents us. We have an advocate. You should know this verse. With the Father. There's an advocate in heaven who stands representing us in him. And there's an advocate on earth who dwells in us, the spirit. I will send another advocate, a paraclete. And so when we sin... What happens? Jesus says, I represent Steve Zaringer as a totally accepted and forgiven man because my blood has been shed for his forgiveness. He represents us. Remember, there's another verse of somebody, you know, ever intercedes for us at the right hand. Where is that? Say it again. Romans 8. I'm thinking of Hebrews 7.25, but perhaps. Yes. He represents us. Where are we, Ben? Where are we spiritually right now? In Christ. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation. Having paid the full price. Of our sin, but not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
So why do we repent not to be forgiven? We are forgiven. We repent in order that our fellowship with God be maintained healthy. It has nothing to do with lack of forgiveness. Now, one more thing. Remember the aseity of God? God existed before all things. How much of your sin did God know about before we, he created? How much? All of it. How much did he forgive? All that he knew about. So did he know you were going to commit that when he, sinned, when he saved you? Did he? Did he know you're going to be nasty before he saved you, Daryl? Yes. Did he know you would have a lapse of faith? How many of you believe he did see that? Warren, did he see that already? Yes. And how much did he pay for? All of it. So let's get going. I said I wouldn't do this, but here I am. Which he, Christ, lavished or could be the father. You see, in some of these... mm, In all wisdom and insight, he made known who? The Father made it known through Christ. Christ made it known to us. The mystery of the Father's will. According to his... Who do you think that is, Matt? It could be either one, can it? Which he, the Father, proposed in Christ. You see, well, which one? It's the Father and the Son and the Spirit are so intertwined that sometimes it's difficult. But we know that there is a distinction here. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, this is one of the most spectacular and significant verses in the entire Bible that we're not going to be able to say anything about right now. Fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things when? In Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. That's eschatology. That's the doctrine of the last days. Of the, you know, the coming of Christ. In him, in whom? Jesus, in Christ. We also have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the Father's will. Who? Works all things. Who? I think it could be the Father works all things after the counsel of the Father's will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ will be to the praise of. It could be the Father. It could be the Son. But to the praise of the Son's glory is to the praise of the Father's glory. We cannot separate the two. And finally, the role of the Holy Spirit, verses 13 and 14. In him, in whom? Now, that's easy. In whom? In the Son. You also, after listening to the message of truth, what message is that? The gospel. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed Remember, you you hear Paul saying, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ or by the word of God. Remember in chapter 9, I'm sorry, 10 of Romans, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what the seal is? Remember when they sent important documents or whatever it was 
the document was closed up. They put the wax down there, and then you had a particular ring, a signet ring, and sealed it. That spoke of authenticity. This is really from the emperor. How do we know? Because it has his seal on it. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God upon our lives. And that which is on the inside of that seal is sealed forever in Christ. Who? Who is that? The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge. The word in the Greek is what? Does somebody know the Greek word? Matt, you may know. Sure you do. Arabon. You knew that. The Greek is Arabon. As a pledge, an Arabon. What does that mean? I'm sorry. I can't hear you. You're right. I just can't hear you. A down payment. How many of you have ever bought a house or bought anything that you had to put a down payment for? Come on. Anybody ever done that? Okay. You had to put 10% down. You had to put 20% down. You, you just need a dollar and a half, but whatever it is. What is a down payment? It's a pledge that at least to the extent that humans are humans, that guarantees legally that I'm coming back and I'm going to give you the rest of the money, but that thing is mine. Do you see it? You buy a car down payment. You put 10% down, then you finance it. Do you drive the car away? Hmm? Yes. Have you paid for the whole car yet? No, you've only given a pledge. Now, I think in some ways the tithe is associated with this, but that's, again, another matter. The Holy Spirit is God's guaranteed pledge that we are his. Amen? If we have the Spirit, we're the children of God. Remember, Paul talks about that in chapter 8 of Romans. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, what? You're not one of his. One of the ways of talking about being born again might be if you ask a person, you know, about, are you born again? Huh? Are you saved? I think we just need to stop saying that kind of thing. Don't ask a person of the Catholic faith if, faith, if they're saved. Don't do that. Why? Because in their theology, they are. You're asking the wrong question. One of the questions you might ask is, do you have the Spirit of God living in you? And there are various things you can talk about. But in their theology, remember when you're christened, what does that mean? When the priest puts the water on you through the apostolic succession, what is the theology in the Catholic Church? That moment God places you into Mother Church, which is a euphemistic term for you're saved. You're in the kingdom. So Catholics, for the most part, they may not know this, are theologically not trying to be saved through good works. There's no way. They don't believe that. Well, I thought I was, but what are they trying to do? Somebody help me on this. What are they trying to do? 
they are now trying to be as good as they can, all right, through their deeds, depending on the grace of God as part of the help, to be more and more righteous. So when they die, to the extent you're 80% righteous because of the deeds you've done. So what you have to do, you have to work off in purgatory the rest of it so you can get the 20% added to you. And at that point, you can go into the kingdom of God. They're not trying in theological terms. They may be doing this because they don't know any better. But theologically, they're not trying to get saved. Because what? When they were christened, they were placed into the church which in their understanding is the kingdom of God. It's okay. Are you surprised to hear this? How many of you haven't heard this before? Yes. So when you say, are you saved? What are you talking? Have you ever noticed there's confusion? Huh? Are you going to heaven? Yes. And Sarah, you know, just the Holy Spirit tells you, you ain't saved. You know that in your spirit. Not condemning, but just the Spirit has told you that. So, Gail, what do you do? Yes, I'm going to heaven. Theologically, they're going to heaven. Oh, it's kind of quiet in here. So the issue has to be handled differently than what we typically would do with our Catholic friends. And by the way, because a person's a Catholic, does, he mean, does that mean that person is not saved? Never think that. You're binding the, the power of God. So that's something to think about. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view, for what purpose? To the redemption of God's own possession. We are God's possession. To the praise of God's glory. Now, we could argue this, it's the Father's glory, but it's also what? The Son's glory, and it's also the Spirit's glory. So we can conclude this way. The glory of God is the glory of the Trinity. Now, thank you so much for having been a part of this class. Our continual burden And desire is that everything that happens in this class is from the Holy Spirit and is building us up in Christ. Any question before we leave? Any questions at all? No questions at all? Oh, I thought you were just saying hi to me. Yeah, Joe. I'm sorry. When did you have this discussion? While I'm talking, you had a discussion? Wait, wait. While the teacher is talking, you three are staying after class today. We have rarely heard of a Catholic saying, yes, I'm saved. It's always been, I don't know. And then um, Steve brought up the sin of presumption, and which says that you can't say you're, you're saved. 
as a cap because yeah. we just don't know. Yeah. The, yeah, there's so much there. Well, there's so much there. If they understood their theology, they would say yes. The problem is they don't understand their own theology. Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, wherever. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, and hopefully they'll see something in you that will want them to be sure of what they're saying. There's a lot here. Yes, there's a presumption. Uh, anyone who says, I know I'm saved, is anathematized and so on. We know, we know all of that. But anyway, any other questions? All right, beginning next, yes. All right, yeah, what's the comment? What is the comment? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yes. Retry. So the, the, all three persons. Uh, next week, I'm pleased to say that, and and y'all come for the next three weeks. Todd is going to be teaching an overview of the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Very very important. Well, thank you so much for having been here.